Hello, and welcome to Nightcap with Jim. I am the titular Jim, and tonight we'll be discussing Tour of Duty. For more content you may enjoy, check out our morning Mangami podcast and our other social media at Mangami Players on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and YouTube. Let's get into it. So, some of you might be a little bit confused, a little bit lost, don't know why I'm talking about this particular thing. Um, most of you, if not all of you, have no idea what it even is. Um, it's, uh, that's understandable, though. It is a, a 30-year-old television show, and, uh, I can hear it already. I can hear it in your minds. I'm reading them. Why are you talking about a 30-year-old television show, Jim? Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Well, it, I, you know, I see, I see where you're coming from, but, um, this is the kind of a TV show that, uh, even though it's very old, is still quite relevant, uh, today. Um, in this particular, uh, series of episodes that I'm going to be doing, um, I'm going to be covering each of the three seasons individually, uh, one per episode. So, uh, the relevance, um, is going to be something that I'm going to discuss season by season, because there are a couple of different reasons why each, why the show is, is still relevant. So, um, I'm going to be discussing just briefly the relevance uh, you know, my reasons for the, that I believe it's relevant, um, you know, one at a time over each episode. Then we're going to go into just a basic overview of each season, um, you know, give you an idea of the, the story, you know, the characters, you know, how the, sh you know, the show is made and stuff like that. And then we're going to go into my favorite episodes from each particular season and why. Uh, so let's just, uh, get started with the relevance. Um, the relevant uh, aspect of this, the first uh, topic of relevance I want to discuss briefly is is uh, the golden age of television that we find ourselves in uh, right now that's been going on for about a decade, since about 2008. Uh, it's fantastic because we've seen some TV shows come out in these past 10 years that are just mind-blowingly amazing. You know, everything from the reboot of Y50 to Game of Thrones, Strike Back, you know, just all these amazing, amazing shows, The Big Bang Theory, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Rick and Morty, Community, I mean, the list is endless, you know, so, um, this is one of those shows that really pushed boundaries, and, um, it, and just, uh, challenged what you could do in, on on television. So, for instance, um, this particular show, uh, I'm going to get into it when I talk about my favorite episodes, but the pilot episode, one of the most ambitious ways to start a television show that I've ever come across. So that's fantastic, and we'll get into that a little bit. But, but yeah, it's just one of these shows that really pushes pushes the boundaries. You know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily... Um, open the door, it more like put a breaching charge on the door and blew it off its damn hinges. <laughs> uh, so, so that's really, you know, I mean, like, especially if you watch the show, you can see, you know, the techniques of how they made the show, um, are just so beyond anything that you would have seen beforehand. I mean, even stuff like SWAT or, uh, the A-Team and, you know, really big, budget action shows, you know, like, even those things pale in comparison to some of the things that are done on Tour of Duty. 
So now uh, let's talk a little bit about season one. Um, we come into season one uh, during um, just just uh, kind of a couple of months uh, before the uh, Tet um, invasion, the uh, the Tet uh, attack um, of 1968. So we're in we're in 1967, coming up to the close of 1967 as we enter. Um, uh, the show, and uh, we're in uh, the highlands of Vietnam at uh, a little fire base called Ladybird. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, we open with um, our main character, uh, Sergeant Clayton Ezekiel Anderson, on a night outpost detail with um, one of our other main characters, and uh, and his and his friend um, and they're on the radio trying to talk to one of the other outposts listening posts on the perimeter of this fire base and they're not getting anywhere with it and so begins um, one like I said the one of the most ambitious openings for a television show you've ever seen um, if you've seen platoon uh, and you remember the final climactic battle uh, at night Think like that in terms of size and scale uh, uh, of what we're dealing with here because we're talking about massive explosions, 100, 150 feet high explosions, you know, 20, 30 feet wide, uh, just massive, you know, burning up the night. Um, and uh, having our actors, not using stunt personnel, but the actors performing their own stunts and being very, very close to these explosions and all this gunfire and yada, yada, yada. Now, it's a pretty brief battle, but still, the size and the scale is, is something to, to behold. It's, it's, it's truly something, you know, like this massive sense of awe of just, holy crap, like this is just, this is ridiculous. Like, how... How are you doing this on a television show? Um, and then, then he goes back, Sar or Sergeant Clayton Ezekiel Anderson. He goes back uh, to a, a, a rear position um, to uh, take back some, you know, documents and weapons that they've captured, and and also to recruit new members for for the platoon because that's really what the this season is about it really follows this platoon of guys uh sometimes the company but most it's pretty much focused on just the platoon um and uh just their experiences as they they make their way through you know one of the most if not the most confusing and infuriating war that america has ever fought in and how frustrating these experiences could be to a group of young guys and uh, that's another thing that's uh, fun um, well not necessarily fun but just interesting and and, uh, and nice about the show is each episode opens up with some sort of a piece of trivia about the Vietnam War and one of the one of the uh, uh, factoids is the fact that um, In World War II, 
uh, the average age of an infantry soldier, or just the average age of a soldier in general, was 26. And in Vietnam, that dropped down to 19. And you have to remember that this is the last time that the draft was, uh, you know, a, a thing. Um, and, you know, it. you just wonder about how... These guys must have felt, especially if they were, you know, against the war, because you have a choice, you know, you either don't, you know, follow directions and go to war, uh, or at least join the military, or you can go to jail for, you know, however long. And the even crazier thing is that there's, you know, a lot, there are a rise of incident of of incidents where um, people who had committed crimes have were given the choice of you can either go to Vietnam or you can go to jail. Uh, kind of that kind of a thing kind of spiked during the Vietnam War. So you have this really eclectic mix of of American fighting men uh, in this particular conflict. And so that makes for a really interesting combination of characters in the show. So you've got guys like Sergeant Anderson, who's who's a lifer, but he's not your typical kind of a lifer. Like he's like this show was was created based off of the success of the movie Platoon, about showing the 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 Vietnam Con War, uh, the Vietnam War. I almost said the Vietnam conflict. Wow, <laughs> the Vietnam War from the perspective of an infantry soldier in a platoon, in a combat platoon which hadn't really been done before i mean showing the war realistically from from the ground level you know not glorifying war making it romantic which a lot of movies from you know the 40s and 50s that was the majority of what they did you know like they you know they they'd have some love interest in there that really had no place in the movie, you know, beyond just like having, you know, your Rita Hayworth pretty girl type in there and, you know, having her just whatever for one of the characters. I mean, it gives you a little bit of an emotional something or other, but it also, I mean, like when you consider how, you know, war movies and TV shows are made today, it really just, you know, and you go back and you watch this other stuff you know, um, it kind of undercuts, you know, the, the tension and the, the, um, the fear and, you know, just like the experiences that you'll have in combat, uh, while you're watching the film. So, uh, you know, Platoon really kind of broke the mold of just like being like, no, let's just, let's just follow, let's just follow our soldiers, um, as they they go through this this experience, and so Tour of Duty kind of like was trying to not necessarily replicate, but but jump on that bandwagon of let's just let's just tell these let's just tell stories about these kids, and you know what they went through while they were while they were fighting in this war that you know for the most part you know like a, a big part of the American public was like no let's just get out of there we're done we're good we don't need to be messing around in someone else's civil war and this and that and da 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 so um so that's really what tour of duty was trying to do is just show let's show it from from the ground level and so you have a guy like zeke anderson who he's kind of a mix like i said like the show is 
you know, came about because of the success of Platoon. He's kind of a mix, a little bit of a mix between uh, two characters from Platoon, the two Platoon sergeants, um, Elias, played by Willem Dafoe, and Barnes, played by Tom Berenger. Now, he leans more towards Elias, um, just in terms of, because he's a pretty nice guy, generally. You know, he is a sergeant in, in, in a combat infantry platoon in Vietnam, but he's, for the most part, a pretty nice guy until you start messing around with his men. Then he gets straight-up Old Testament biblical on people uh, and has no problem just taking out anybody. It doesn't matter who they are, if they're, if they're Americans or they're Vietnamese or anything else, you know, like... He just does not care. If you mess with his men, you're going to get in trouble. And he's totally, and he's, and throughout the show, he, you know, knocks heads with, you know, uh, higher-ranking NCOs, and that's non-commissioned officers, so just higher-ranking sergeants and stuff like that. You know, all the way to to pretty high-ranking officers like majors and colonels and just getting right up in their face and being like, if you ever mess around with, my, with one of my men again, I'm going to get you. You know, and uh, <laughs> those scenes, you really, you know, have this appreciation for this character who's just totally willing to do anything to save his men's lives. And um, it's just a kind of a really beautiful thing um, when I think about it. Because uh, typically, you know, you don't, the depiction of, of our soldiers, while there is that whole brotherhood thing... I've never really seen a character like Anderson who's just, like, not going to take any crap from anybody when it comes to saving his men's lives. And he has no problem butting heads with with people about it because that's all he really cares about at this point, especially when we meet him. Because he's, like I said, he's a lifer and he's been in the Army um, for a good long while. And he's on his third combat tour in Vietnam when we meet him. So he's about uh, six, seven, eight months, nine months-ish into his third combat tour uh, in Vietnam, which uh, is, that's pretty uh, unique. Uh, Not a lot of, there weren't a lot of guys that did multiple, multiple, multiple combat tours. You know, some guys stayed in the army, some guys went home, got early outs, and, you know, went to school on the GI Bill and stuff like that. Uh, some of them just left the... Some some guys just left the Army straight up and were just like, you guys can all go to hell. That was just the worst experience of my life. I'm done with this. I'm going to go and go back and do what I want to do. And so on and so forth. Um, but not, not too many... There weren't too many guys that signed up for multiple combat tours. I think the record that I know of is... Um, gentleman Franklin D. Miller who did seven combat tours he started out, which is funny, I'm going to probably bring him up a couple of times throughout this podcast because his story does kind of relate to to the characters in in this show a little bit um, as we'll get into when I get to season three but uh, but yeah, I think that's the record that I know of is seven combat tours and he started out in an infantry unit just like uh, the one that, we, that we're following in Tour of Duty but he eventually, after uh, two, three years, he joined um, an elite special forces operation called MACV SOG, which that stands for Military Assistance Command Vietnam Studies and Operations Group. And uh, SOG SOG was made up of a bunch of different 
branches of the military, everything from SEALs and Green Berets to, you know, uh, to like guys like Franklin D. Miller, who had just heard about this unit, you know, through Scuttlebutt and, you know, the Grapevine, signed up for it and had to go through a selection process and then rigor, you know, which is just this rigorous training regimen, you know, uh, that's just designed to weed out anybody who's just not up to snuff. Um, so, so we follow these guys and we meet this new lieutenant, uh, Goldman, and these other new characters like Daniel Purcell, who uh, went through JROTC, and you know he got a he got a, a buck stripe as a corporal. <clears throat> uh, we have guys like Lieutenant Goldman who. His dad was his dad's a lifer, Medal of Honor winner. Um, you know, got his Medal of Honor in the Battle of the Bulge, so he's got you know big shoes to fill in terms of being a platoon leader. You know, we have our we have our you know guys that have been in the service for a while, like like Johnson, uh, Marvin Johnson and Marcus Taylor, uh, who are just best buds. You know, BFFs for life. Um, but, you know, again, very different characters because we have Johnson, who's from Mississippi. You know, he knows about farming and, you know, he's really kind of just a really nice kind of a, you know, just a really chill kind of a guy. And then we have Taylor, who's, you know, from come out and coming out of Detroit and he's seen, you know, gang warfare and, and you know, just drug use and, you know, pimps and prostitutes and all that kind of stuff. And he's one of these guys that, you know, got into some trouble and the judge and, you know, judge told him, you can, hey, you can go to prison, you can go to Vietnam. And he chose Vietnam. And, you know, then we have, you know, guys, like I said, you know, Purcell, who's a new guy coming in, uh, Ruiz, who uh, he's a pretty cocky guy uh, coming into this. Um, the way that uh, uh, Anderson, Sergeant Anderson finds his new guys as he's talking to one of his buddies back at this base and there's a bunch of guys playing jungle rules volleyball which basically means it's just a free-for-all and he just goes who's winning in these two games and he says i want all the winners to line up for me right here ruiz is not uh, playing volleyball so everybody else is just caked in mud from head to toe and then he just slips out from you know between some of the tents with his nice clean starched uniform and Anderson just gives him a look over like, where the hell did you come from? Um, and he's pretty cocky until he gets into the field for the first time and gets shot at. And then he's, uh, then he, uh, you know, messes his pants. You know, he pisses his pants a little bit there. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, just with this really interesting kind of group of guys. And, um, and we follow them through this story. And there's just so much stuff that happens to these guys. You know, um, from, you know, having to do a civilian action program, which is where we would have our soldiers move into a village and um, train and uh, equip the uh, villagers with uh, American weapons and uh, show them how to use them and, and train them up so that they can go out and fight the... Viet Cong, the VC, and the NVA, the North Vietnamese Army. Uh, you know, to to having to relocate villages because, you know, they're about to be annihilated 
and the only way to save these people is to, you know, force march them uh, out of that area to uh, and, you know, integrate them into another village to, you know, racial tensions um, and uh, and all this stuff. And then culminating in the season finale um, called The Hill, which I'm going to talk about in the next segment, um, where uh, it's something that... that where, where American military policy changed because in previous wars, you know, World War One, Two, Korea, it was about taking ground and holding that ground and not, and not relinquishing it um, back to the enemy. Whereas Vietnam was just all about body count. And so you have to imagine, you know, how frustrating that could be, especially when you're dealing with an enemy like the like the Viet Cong and the NVA, more specifically the Viet Cong, but the NVA a little bit as well, because the Viet Cong would um, pretty much only exclusively uh, attack with guerrilla tactics, and even if you got into a, a pretty good gunfight with these guys. And, you know, you had some confirmed kills like, you know, guys lining up the site, pulling the trigger, and seeing the pink mist. Even with that happening, or even, you know, like, hey, we got a whole bunch of guys in the tree line here, we're gonna, we're gonna call in an artillery strike and just blow these guys to hell. Even then, when, when our soldiers were so confident that they had nailed them, they couldn't, they'd very rarely find bodies which is just has got to be extremely frustrating because the Viet Cong were almost were almost ghost like in that in that sense of just never leaving like any sort of physical evidence of their of their presence. I mean even when you did find some evidence it was 2 or 3 days old or you know like a blood trail that leads to a booby trap and you know it's just got to be so frustrating for these guys to have to 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 switch what the military protocol was, which was to gain ground, keep the ground, to go into to um, just about statistics, just about how many bodies, and then never, almost never, being able to actually report a body count. I mean, especially again, this is mostly in the context of the show because they do play up a lot of these these aspects, a lot of these, you know, kind of problem spots, problem areas from, from the, from the real war and the real conflicts. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, for dramatic purposes, which is understandable, but at the same time, it is very realistic in that, in, in that sense of just, you know, like how frustrating that would be to get into gunfight after gunfight after gunfight and watch, you know, one, two, three of your buddies getting hit you know, wounded or killed, you know, run into booby traps, you know, like punji pits where, where it's just, you know, uh, it's just a pit with stakes in it and sometimes, you know, covered with, with human feces, you know, or whatever to, you know, um, promote infection in the wound. Uh, just, you know, like just the maximum level of punishment possible that these guys can inflict upon, you know, a far superior uh, military force in terms of, you know, size, you know, numbers and, and our technical abilities, but still not being able to quite um, keep up with, with this guerrilla-type fighting force. 
So I'm going to take a quick break, uh, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about my favorite episodes from Season 1 of Tour of Duty. Stay tuned. So now I wanted to discuss my uh, favorite episodes uh, from the season, uh, from season one of Tour of Duty, uh, starting with the very first episode, The Pilot. And uh, like I said, it's just one of the most ambitious openings for a TV show, you know, I can I can think of. I mean, the only thing I've ever really seen that comes really clo- as close to this is something like Strike Back or the Hawaii Five-O reboot. Um, both have, you know, similar kind of big openings that are just like, you know, but also just like really like boom, get you right into, you know, the show, uh, in a, you know, in, in a big splashy kind of a way, which is nice. Uh, the reboot of SWAT, uh, the TV show starring Shamar Moore also did something very similar. Um, I remember watching that pilot episode and just being really blown away with what they did with it, uh, and just being like, yeah, good job, you know, like, I hope, just keep it up, and this show will be good, uh, you know, stuff like that, just, like, really big, just splashy, just, like, holy shit kind of moments, um, that really just suck you into the story, uh, but also just, you know, meeting all these characters that, you know, uh, over the course of the season, I mean, because I've watched this show, six or seven times, eight times, all the way through, and I just love these characters so much, you know, they're so great, um, and I, you know, they're just really fascinating to me, uh, because it is, like I said, this eclectic group of characters that are just all very, very different from each other, but they come to the point where they realize that they need each other more than anything else to survive, um, what's happening to them, and, you know, just also, like like I said, like this episode really, it really introduces you to the world. Because, like I said, you know, there's a lot of different aspects of, of Vietnam that were just so wildly different from anything that our guys had faced before, especially in Korea or World War Two or World War One. I. I mean, the face of war has always changed as time has gone on, but with those three, with World War One, Two, and Korea... We all had, there was all kind of, a, like, kind of very, it was, that was like a, like a series, if you will, of similarly fought conflicts, you know, just about gaining ground, keeping ground, you know, uh, trying not to, try not to lose that ground, relinquish it back to, to the enemy, to the other side, and then having to switch to this body count type of, of, of system, and being really frustrated by it, especially, like, when... Because, like I said, like, the next part of combat, uh, the next combat scene, it's actually more of this big sequence where they go out with this new lieutenant and these replacement guys on their first, you know, operation. And it's a company-wide operation, and that would typically entail dropping a platoon off here, platoon off over there, a platoon off way over there, and then having them patrol individually, um... Because that's again how the 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 Viet Cong would fight is is they wouldn't engage company sized units uh, when they were all together. That would usually typically only be something that the uh, NVA, the North Vietnamese Army, would do. 
so the 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 kind of the the way that uh, our higher ups and back back at that time decided like how to try and fight this thing, you know, after a couple of years of of the of you know like these guerrilla attack kind of a things and not being able to figure out what the hell's going on, they decided okay let's break up the companies into their platoons and use the platoons as bait. So we'll have the we'll do company wide patrols, but but have the platoon uh, p- patrol individually, and then if they get engaged, we'll call in artillery, we'll call in airstrikes, call in the other the other platoons from the company to come in and swarm the area, and then try to annihilate the enemy that way, which was never never really that effective. Um, as as especially as we see in this pilot episode, when they go out for their first operation, they get they take fire right off the bat when they get off the helicopters, as they're inserting into the landing zone or the LZ. Uh, and you know you have this lieutenant, this green lieutenant, who's telling he wants a charge on a tree line across this open field, you know, about a hundred meters from where they are, and they're pinned down. To, to the tree line where they're taking fire from and he's telling these guys you know get up charge fight let's do it let's go and you know having to have Sergeant Anderson be like get down stupid like you want to get us all killed because I'm not that's not going to fly with me let's just call in some artillery strikes and then so that's what they do and then go into the tree line guess what there's no bodies you know there's just blood trails and so it's just this it's just introducing you to the grind of what it's like to be an infantry grunt you know uh engaging with the enemy but never really seeing them you know you not really ever like some soldiers went through their entire combat rotation without ever having that you know see the white of their eyes moment um which would be extremely frustrating as a fighting man uh especially considering like that's what the higher ups, the higher ranking um, members of the military were were focusing on body count, and when you're being told as a soldier on the ground, you know we want body count, we want body count, we want body count, we want body count, we want dead bodies, we want dead bodies, we want dead bodies. Kill the enemy, kill the enemy, kill the enemy. That's your only objective, and then just never, you know, and just like almost never actually even getting to see one of them dead would just be would have to just drive you nuts because you're you're just not accomplishing your objective, and so you have to imagine how that would wear, you know, on on soldiers, and that's why, you know, um, special ops uh, soldiers were you know uh, so revered and and also just admired, but also, you know, just like look at those guys they're actually accomplishing their objectives you know which brings us to my my uh next favorite episode called war lover and this one is is really interesting because uh, like i said it deals with uh, with this small special forces team that comes to firebase ladybird um because they need assistance they need a, a they need a, a guide through the uh the area so so uh goldman and anderson take out uh, you know, select the squad of main guys to uh, to take them to to their objective, and uh, it's it's an interesting episode too because this the leader of the special ops team and Sergeant Anderson have a history together. They uh, they served together uh, 
and uh, it didn't go well. Um, the special ops guy, he, uh, he kind of made a bunch of big mistakes during this one particular battle and it ended up costing, you know, a lot of men their lives. And so Zeke, Sergeant Anderson, uh, Zeke, he's just not a fan of this guy in the least. You know, he, he hates him. He, he despises him. And like I said, he's normally a pretty nice guy. But again, when it comes to the lives of, of his soldiers, of his men, he is just not... He's not putting up with any nonsense when it comes to their safety. You know, I mean, he understands, you know, and he puts his men in harm's way, but he does it as smartly as he possibly can to make sure that they don't die. Uh, but this guy, you know, I mean, we are introduced to this character while uh, Zeke and, and company are out on patrol, and he just comes flying in, you know, him and his team, they come flying in on a helicopter because they're heading to Ladybird, the, the firebase, and he's just like, hey, I saw something down there, swing the helicopter back around, you know, and he just starts throwing grenades out of the helicopter, and it's like, I don't know if you've ever been in a helicopter or even, like, seen footage of, you know, someone of just, like, you know, like, camera guy in the helicopter and seeing the ground whip by you like that. Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever, like, you know, like, thrown something from, like, a ball or whatever, like a baseball or something like that from a moving vehicle, uh, but, uh, accuracy really, it's mm, a bit of a crapshoot, uh, <laughs> so, you know, for, for this guy to be, you know, flinging grenades out of a helicopter, you know, zooming by at a hundred 20 miles an hour or whatever it's just like what are you doing dude and you know almost getting Zeke and his guys shot up in the process so you know he's just not a fan of this Zeke's just not a fan of this guy at all and it's totally understandable why because like he's just he kind of gets off on on war and whatnot which is a bummer when you see that you know someone who's just like not content but happy in their work I mean soldiers look it's a very like I come from a military family as well and you know um I've considered joining the military uh, on several occasions throughout my life it's just never worked out for me that way but um there's nothing wrong with being pride with having pride in and being a soldier or a marine or a navy seal or a sailor or whatever it's when you get to the it's when you get to these people that are in positions, combat positions specifically, who have killed people, and it just doesn't bother them. It just doesn't affect them, you know, uh, because I've never talked to anybody who's like, yeah, killing people is pretty cool, you know? Uh, it's always, you know, been like, you know, yeah, I love my job, I just don't like killing people that kind of a thing, you know, and even then, like, there's that adrenaline rush thing, and this and that, and blah, 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 and, but at the end of the day, it's like, if, if, if you're not one of these people that's like, yeah, you know, I love being a soldier, or I love being a Marine, or whatever, um, and, but then you, you know, and Marines are way different than, than Army, like, by the way, like, because I have heard a couple of, you know, instances of just like, you know, there's nothing better than killing the enemy, you know, kind of quotes, and that's understandable, you know, you're getting, it's different training, um, especially back in, like, Vietnam era type training and stuff, it's just, like, way more bloodlust kind of a, I guess bloodlust is a, is a bad word to use, but uh, just, you know, this kind of, just this, 
well again it's just it, it's the higher ups it's these these higher ranking people who who have switched over to body count body count body count and you and you know you're gonna as a result get you know that kind of mentality of just like we got to kill the enemy we got to kill the enemy we got to kill the enemy because now that's the only goal you know it's no longer take this ridge or take this hill or take this town you know it's kill the enemy and then we're gonna leave kill the enemy come on back to base kill the enemy that's it you know it's it's no longer you know trying to help people or trying to you know liberate an area of, of enemy control it's just go in there shoot up the place and then that's it so you know it's just it's, you know these kind of issues you know rattle around in my head when I watch tour of duty and um, and then and then we go on to something else that's even more controversial or maybe not more controversial but but very controversial as well and that's racial tensions with this episode burn baby burn uh, this episode's notable to me for a bunch of reasons. Um, a couple, because this show, Tour of Duty, has got amazing guest stars. Uh, including, pretty, and starting with this episode, uh, where they got Ving Rhames and Robert Nepper. Now, unless you're like me and you are super into knowing all actors' names and stuff, you might not know who Robert Nepper is. I ho would hope you know who Ving Rhames is, though. <laughs> He's a fairly big star. Um, you know, he's been in almost all the, he's been, he's like the only one besides Tom Cruise that's been in all the, uh, Mission Impossible movies. So it's like, I would just hope you know who Ving Rhames is. Uh, Robert Nepper, he's not quite as well known, but he's still done some pretty awesome stuff. He's a really great actor. Uh, but this episode's really tough because, you know, we're dealing with, um, a lot of, you know, this, this, the company, the platoon is broken up almost into two separate groups you know one being these confederate southern racist dickheads and and these you know um a couple of like but like the african-american soldiers all hanging together but a couple of them being you know kind of militant and uh you know um just like taking malcolm x's um teachings just to a a whole nother level of just like not even necessarily Malcolm X but just like more militant sort of you know um, just like you got to take what you want uh, at the barrel of a gun kind of kind of stuff um, and uh, you know like hey I mean I get that I, I like that I get like I don't get the racist stuff but like you know the more the more militant black kind of movements you know, I understand because again, it's you got to remember how frustrating it's got to be for, for for people. You know, to just be beaten down on and you know just mistreated for generations, and then you know you you like if you really think that you can you know mistreat an entire group of people for generation after generation, and then find and then you know and then at least some of them you know discussing hey to hell with this let's just take what we want you know um you're you're out of your mind you know uh, i'm not going to get too far into it though but but yeah it's just this it's a really tough episode because you're dealing with because because it's because it because you know like i said i don't get the racial stuff and i'm i'm i but i understand the the more militant stuff that ving rames's character is talking about but at the same time i'm like ving 
you know, I mean, that's not his character's name, but, you know, I'm just like, Ving Rhames, come on, man, like, let's, 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 you know, like, why can't we be friends, kind of, you know, like, can't we all just get along, and obviously we can't, because we have these racists, racists over here that are, you know, constantly, um, instigating, you know, stuff, and it's just like, oh my god, this is so frustrating, and it's just one of those episodes that really kind of gets under my skin, because it's, it's so frustrating, you know, it's just, it just, it just bums me out a little bit, uh, but then there's a little bit of other like like Vietnamese because that's again one of the sh one of the things the show does when it's when I'm saying it pushes boundaries is you know like um, racial slurs like this show did not shy away from using racial slurs at all I mean like all of them you know I'm not going to repeat them because that would just be stupid but yeah like racial slurs up the yin yang whether they're white black. Or or v or you know Vietnamese specifically Vietnamese uh, because I don't know if you know this because it's kind of bonkers but you know um uh our soldier our fighting our you know our our military guys had different racial slurs for the Japanese and different racial slurs for the Korean and Chinese when they were fighting in Korea and different racial slurs for the Vietnamese and, <laughs> which is just like wow, that's pretty creative, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's just like, this show definitely did not shy away from using the racial slurs, which is pretty crazy, um, but, uh, but again, it's just like trying to bring you into this world that, um, is really kind of messed up, it's not, it's not the most fun, it's, it's fucked up, it's fucked up, you know, and then, speaking of fucked up, we're going on to our my next episode, which is called Brothers, Fathers, and Sons. This episode is really exciting, um, but then it's also really intense. And what happens is three of the characters, uh, Zeke, Marvin Johnson, and uh, Baker, they uh, they get uh, they get a detail back in the rear, and their helicopter gets shot down while they're en route. And so they have to perform escape and evasion um, to, you know, uh, not get in and not get into, uh, you know, a bunch of big gunfights with the with the VC and try and make their way back to, you know, to their friendly lines. On the way, they come across a Montagnard, uh, kind of a village convoy something it's it's difficult to tell exactly what it is because it looks like they might have been moving out um but it's like i guess a bivouac or you know just like a night halt you know just kind of like they were like these mountain yards were moving somewhere and they you know stopped to rest for the night but then they got they just got wiped out they just got completely annihilated and mountain yards are the actual indigenous population of vietnam um the vietnamese are actually this kind of a mishmash of, of different um, other Asian ethnicities that, uh, you know, came into, um, into Vietnam and then, you know, became the more dominant, I guess I should, I guess you could say, uh, uh, you know, they were more, just a more ruling class kind of a thing. Cause the Montagnards are just like straight up farmers, you know, uh, trackers and hunters kind of guys. Um, but they're also some of the toughest people on earth. Um, you know, again, talking about a little bit about Franklin D. Miller uh, that I mentioned earlier. Um, he, when when he when you serve when they when you would serve in Mac V. Sog, 
you'd have to serve with with mountain yards with these local guys that they got to fight with them because they're so tough and they know you know laos and cambodia and north vietnam but they're also just really good trackers and they they you know they uh, have very excellent sense of direction and because they're so one with with nature and um he actually asked one of his guys well not asked he was just sitting around with a couple of these guys one night while they were out in the field and he's like oh man i wish i could have an orange soda right now and uh one of the montagnards was like oh you want an orange soda okay hey homeboy you know come over here for a second and he called over one of his buddies and he's like hey go go get this go get our go get our buddy uh, an orange soda and he sent this guy off you know in the in the middle of the night and he walked you know uh, a day uh well not a day but you know he he left you know like around the afternoon and he walked back into their position in the morning with a with a you know a ruck and a, a, a you know a little bag full of two or three orange sodas and this, you know this guy walked in the dead of night to the nearest base and you know you know went to the supply or whatever it was just like hey i need a couple orange sodas and then came back with with them you know all within you know roughly a 12 uh, 14 hour period and it's just like with no map no compass no nothing he just went off into the wood into the into the woods <laughs> Um, you know, and there was another time where, where one of these guys got their foot cut and they took him to the medic and the, uh, you know, the dispensary to the infirmary to get his foot looked at and they couldn't stitch his foot with a needle because his, his feet were, were tougher than leather, you know, so they, they had to do a bandage wrap, which is just not how you're supposed to fix that kind of a wound, <laughs> but that's how tough these guys were, you know? Um, but they come across this, this, you know, just annihilated Montagnard group. And the only surviving member is a pregnant lady and she gives birth, um, with no assistance, by the way, and she's wounded. Um, again, just illustrating how tough the Montagnard people are, you know, um, giving birth being, you know, being wounded and giving birth with literally no assistance at all. I mean, like, because neither one, neither of these three guys know anything about giving birth to a baby. Uh, so they're just standing there like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And then all of a sudden, Wah! you know, the baby's out, but the mom's dead. So they have to make this moral decision of, well, what do we do? And, you know, the Vietnamese, they are not fans of the Montagnard people. So leaving the baby there almost 100% chance, uh, certainty that this baby's going to die um, or be killed at the hands of the Vietnamese, the VC specifically. Um, and then, uh, so, but, so they have to take him with them. But that, you know, invites a whole new set of problems because now they're trying to take care of a baby while they're on the run from this VC unit that's tracking them. And uh, this unit is led by um, uh, a guy whose son was just killed in a firefight uh, that, that took place right after the helicopter crashed. So he's motivated, to say the least, to find, you know, the three Americans. And, it, and this all culminates in this, this, um, this firefight on, on, top of a, on top of a mountain. And it's unfortunate 
but the baby dies. And so, and and Johnson and Baker are, are taken out. They're wounded severely enough that they're out of the action. And Zeke is wounded too. And the baby's dead. And, you know, this VC comes up to Zeke as he's cradling this baby in his in his arms. And Zeke, he's just shouting at him, Look what we did, buddy. Look what we did. And, you know, that kind of stuff just really takes my breath away, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, just stuff like that. But then, uh, then moving on. So <laughs> our next episode, Roadrunner, uh, it really deals with, with Zeke kind of having this freak out moment because he gets a letter from home and he never gets letters from home. And it just shakes him up a little bit and then they get a mission to go back into this valley that he's been in before where, you know, um, they just lost something like 70 or 80 percent of of the group that went in the company that went in and so he's just not happy about that at all and it's fun it's a not fun it's a but it's an interesting episode just to see this guy that's been a rock throughout you know um 10 or so episodes who's just been a rock you know he's just always had he's always had it together and then to see him start to lose his shit a little bit it's kind of scary um but it, it it again it illustrates to you you know just how anybody could could get frazzled could break and and endanger the lives of everybody else that's that's in this group and then we move on to under siege which is one of my favorite episodes of television of all time i love it so much and um it's just it's exactly what it sounds like firebase ladybird is under siege and we have this new captain, um, you know, this new company commander coming in, who is just not paying attention to what Goldman or or Anderson are talking about in terms of like, you know, VC troop builds up, troop buildups, and everything like that. And so they get hit and they get hit hard, and it's just epic television, you know, just very epic television. And then we go to Paradise Lost. We come back to the mountain yards because this time. They uh, come across a village of mountain yards, and like I like I was talking about earlier with some of the stuff that you know soldiers would have to do in Vietnam, they they enact a the CAP uh, civilian action program, and um, it's a really fun episode too because there's actually an American living in this village, and we find out that he's uh, ex special forces, and you know once his tour was up, he was just like you know what. I'm just going to chill out here for a little bit. And so he just lives with, with these indigenous people and, you know, lives off, and just like them, you know, lives off the land. And it's just really kind of cool. And then finally, we come to the hill. And that's something I mentioned earlier, too, because um, when we come into this episode, they're coming to Hill 1000, uh, is what it's called. And they're doing a hill assault. And it's basically, if you th it's king of the hill for all intents and purposes. <clears throat> and it's frustrating again because uh, the hill was taken once before, before our guys even get there. And uh, so they have to go up it and fight through and nothing. You know, they get to the top of the hill and there's just nothing but an empty bunker. You know, not even shell casings. Uh, or sandal prints and so they're just like well that was a big waste of time they leave you know 
And then, boom, they get the call. Hey, we're going back to Hill 1000 again. And this time, though, uh, Charlie, or you know, the VC, you know, Charlie really wants to keep the hill this time. This time, So, you know, a lot of guys get shot up, and it just it just really brings out this level of frustration in our in our guys of just like what is the point of this why are we going to go up this hill time after time after time if we're not, you know like why don't we just keep the hill why don't we just keep the damn thing that we won't have to give it back that we won't have to come back up here and get a bunch of more of our guys shot up and you know it just really illustrates how frustrating this war was and and why you know, it, it's so controversial. Um, yeah, you know, just kind of a bit of a waste in a way, you know, in certain aspects. I mean, it's just, I know I'm talking about a TV show, you know, and, but, it, and, you know, it kind of relates to real life. And, you know, I, I just don't want anybody to, to, to jump on my back and, you know, be like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, Jim. But, um, you know, but, but, you know, you just, it's just, I think about these things, you know, I research this stuff. I like, you know, I, I, cause, um, cause it's, it fascinates me, you know, uh, like how, how we could have such a shift in, in military policy from, from doing stuff that's like, like helping people to just straight up, you know, the annihilation of the enemy. And that's just a really crazy thing to me to shift from what we were doing to, you know, in World War One, Two, in Korea, to to what uh, was happening in Vietnam. You know, I mean, and what really fucking ticks me off though is the stories of you know soldiers coming home and getting spit on by people. It's like that stuff drives me up the damn wall. You know, it's like how dare you? You have no idea what these guys go through in combat zones trying to keep their buddies alive and you have the fucking nerve to spit on them how dare you you know so it's just like vietnam gets me a little worked up guys but hey um that's gonna do it that's uh that's our show for tonight uh thank you so much for listening um please tune in to our morning show with heath and our other social media content at manga me players on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for stopping by for a nightcap. Um, we're going to pick up Tour of Duty on Wednesday and uh, finish it out on Friday. So uh, thanks, guys. Have a good night.